Hello and welcome to Get Object. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie. I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-host Paul. Hello. And today we are talking about the apocalypse. So we will be slouching towards Bethlehem in just a second. But first, some chat. Paul, how are you? How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, uh, you all right? Yes, I'm fine. Um, we do actually have an announcement going in this week, don't <laughs> yeah, we? Some apocalypse-themed news. Uh, <laughs> As we go in, yeah. Uh, we are going to... Uh, this is going to be the last episode of Get Object for now, guys. Um, I think this is the case for a lot of podcasters, is that they tend to have lots of projects on the spin. Um, and I think that's definitely the case for me and Paul. And certainly for me, I have some other projects at the moment that require a little bit of attention. So, um, so yeah, so this will be the last show, certainly for the time being. Yeah, um, if you've, so just uh, for anyone who's subscribing on Patreon, we've already paused the Patreon, so you're not going to be charged. Um, or I'm not sure exactly when this episode will hit, but basically, basically for, for um, November, you, you're not going to yeah. be charged at the beginning of the month, so don't worry about that. So we've just done that, so... Well, what we did, what we talked about is we'll probably we'll keep pausing it for like a couple of months or so or something like that, just so you've got time to, if there's anything on there that you haven't seen yet, you've got time to do it and you're not going to be charged for anything. If we stop the uh, um, after we've stopped, after we've been pausing it for a couple of months, we're just going to close it down. So yeah, you don't have to do anything. We're not going to take any more money from you. If we close it down, and for some reason there's something on there that you wanted to see and missed then just email us or something and we can just I don't know we'll send it to you or something but should be plenty of time anyway to um yeah to catch up on that um so yeah in terms of the the main feed I guess yeah we don't we're not sure if we're gonna return or not um but yeah. we'll just say <laughs> at the moment this is the last one but we're not ruling out a return. So if you want to keep subscribed on the feed, then 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 we may be back. I may do stuff on on the Twitch channel and the YouTube channel if I have the the time and desire to do so. I was just telling Rosie I found there's a load of demo discs um, from like the the nineties and two thousands, uh, like old PC uh, demo discs. We both. Uh, I think have some fondness for those old demo discs and I, I was yeah. kind of toying with the idea of downloading a few random demo discs and streaming them for fun <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I think I'll it do, sounds like fun so I might do that but anyway so yeah yeah this so is that, the apocalypse um, this is the apocalypse but um a massive thank you um just as we go in we'll thank you again at the end but for everyone listening this has been like such a fun show with so much kind of engagement such a sort of presence from the listeners which has been so lovely mm. um so thank you very much uh to everyone who has been listening it's yeah, been thanks. an absolute blast yeah okay so Should what video games? games yeah what <laughs> video games are you playing uh i introduced my daughter to untitled goose game oh cool i, I presume you're familiar with that from, i've like the internet if nothing from else. the internet i have been on the internet yeah. Um, so yes, I have seen, uh, some various gifts and, and images and memes. <laughs> yeah. So they, they added, um, I'm not sure when, but at some point they added two player. So I played a bit with her. Um, and now she started playing by herself, Right. but she can't, 
I mean, she can't read, so she can't like do the objectives or anything, and they're too complicated for her anyway. But she just, she's she's kind of quite quickly understood the concept. She just says to me, uh, "Look, I'm doing naughty things." Which <laughs> she's is good like, at it. <laughs> she, she she gets that she's doing things that she's not supposed to be doing. She likes just stealing things from people and like <laughs> getting them wet and winding them up. And honking at them, so she she loves it. She uh, finds it very amusing. So oh, that's been how fun. Yeah. yeah. And I've also been playing um, Hades. I don't know if you've heard of this. Yeah. I just have seen it recommended so strongly. Well, this is why I started playing it. Um, yeah. I have to say, what what kind of what actually did it for me was there was a podcast I listened to where a couple of people don't like roguelikes, um, right. and they were recommending this. And that okay. kind of did it for me because I've played a few of the roguelikes that are meant to be good and I just don't really get, I just don't like them. They've just never got on with them. And mm. just kind of, yeah, like you said, there's been a lot of people recommending it and stuff, but hearing them saying, I don't like these games, but this one does, this one does it for me. It does a few things a bit differently or whatever. I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. And I really, really like it. Uh, it's oh, really fantastic. Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just for anyone who doesn't know, uh it's yeah roguelike so as in you uh you, you kind of go for a run and when you die you go back to the the beginning every time you play through the uh the the kind of the chambers that you go through are uh kind of randomized so it's different every every run you get stronger every 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 time you go through there's like various yeah, in this game actually, there's quite a diff- there's lots of different things that f- for you to like unlock and upgrade. Um, so you're always kind of making some bit of progress somewhere. Right. Or other. Yeah. Um, and you are the son of Hades, and you're trying to escape from the underworld, um, which is Hades kind of knows you're doing it. Like he sees you there, but he just thinks it's impossible, so he doesn't really care. He's like. Yeah, fine. If you just want to keep dying, then uh, do so. And the the Olympian gods are sending abilities down to you, basically, to kind of help you uh, help you That's get very out. Cool. So you have to, yeah, you choose every time you run through, you get different abilities that you, you choose from. Um, yeah, really, really fun game. The ability, the way the abilities work together is amazing. Like sometimes you just you get you know. Well, I, I would I would say I've had one, like one run where I had like such a perfect combination. Like you see an ability come up and you're like, then you realise what it means. You're like, oh shit, this ties together every right every other ability I have um, in such an amazing way, and it's just yeah, um, yeah, really really satisfying. So I'm going to be playing that for some time, I think. Because oh, that sounds take fantastic. A while to get through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, so I have been playing Ender All, but uh, I won't keep going on about that. Um, okay. I have also been playing <laughs> um, Crusader Kings 3, which I played a little bit on release oh. and have gotten back into because I'm playing um, multiplayer on the same map with um, my other half, Dave. We've gotten very stuck into that. Um, that's mm. been a lot of fun. That's been taking up a lot of our evenings. Um, it's a lot easier when you play with two people on the same map because you can kind of coordinate moves together and stuff. Um, so you, and you're not, but are you ostensibly 
against each other. Oh, yeah. No, I should explain, actually. No, we are the ruler of two dynasties, uh, the rulers of two separate dynasties in mm. um, medieval, uh, we're in Europe. So um, he is playing the king of Ireland now, and mm-hmm. I am the king of Brittany. And um, we are allied to each other, basically. Okay. We could we could be at war with each other, but that's not the way. You we're could betray it. him if you. Oh, absolutely, to. absolutely, we could totally do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're kind of uh, tackling it at the same time, trying to um, you know sort of pull manoeuvres and uh, take over as much of the map as possible. So yeah, what kind, what kind of a what kind of a ruler are you? I am playing um, an absolute bastard at the moment. Okay. I just I was trying to be really nice to everyone, and I actually am someone who really struggles being mean in video games. Like I never, I always like mm. play the paragon option. Yeah. But um, Crusader Kings makes it very fun to play as a bad guy um and so yeah so at some point i just snapped basically um because the 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 rulers of i'd taken over normandy and the lords there were so quarrelsome and so like getting in my way all the time and constantly plotting to murder me and at some point i was just like right you're all i'm just going to imprison and behead all of you um and revoke your titles (laughs) so that's what i did Okay. So yeah, Crusader Kings. It's it's just so much fun. It's uh, we're having a wonderful time. Cool. Okay. So before we get on to our subject today, we got some feedback. Yeah. So first of all, we have on the Patreon. Uh, no, sorry, on the YouTube version of this, um, we had a comment from Ringworld Engineer. Uh, there's an, this is on the Clues episode. There's an excellent extra credits video I'd strongly recommend called The Best Detective Game Ever Made. It draws parallels to the rest of the genre of hard-boiled detective stories and The Witcher 3. So yeah, we had a bit of conversation about the extent to which The Witcher 3 was a, was a detective game. And uh, yeah, it seems we're not the only people who have uh, had that thought. So yeah. I mean, that, that sounds, out, yeah, sounds really interesting. I'm definitely up for for having a look at that and i think there was um fan art of uh quite famous fan art of uh witcher 3 now i come to think of it in which uh gerald is portrayed as a kind of um hard-boiled detective um and yeah you've got kind of yen and tris in the background as like femme fatales and stuff it it, yeah it's really good art gerald looks really hot in it (laughs) i'll play i'll play that they should they should do a standalone uh like they did with like bioshock they did like a hard boil yes. on that, didn't they? They should they do that with Geralt. I mean, yes, I'm I'm absolutely uh, Siri's got Siri's got like time like dimension hopping powers. Like there's a fictional reason for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean it's strongly um it's strongly implied that I think Siri might possibly show up in Cyberpunk. Um, oh, really? because of those because of those time hopping powers who knows but it's it's there in the witcher 3 there's some kind of hint or something that siri has been to a world where uh, people have like metal in their heads uh, <laughs> so okay who it's knows been delayed maybe, again, isn't it? Uh, maybe she's been has it yeah three weeks oh really so not december. not mid-november no december now interesting oh my god i was god. looking forward yeah. to, to that but oh, well, it's only a few more weeks isn't it? it's only a few more weeks yeah yeah Okay, cool. So, um, fantastic. We have another um, tweet, I think, from yeah. G- Gaff Tape. Uh, thank you for getting in touch, Gaff Tape. Um, 
I'm, I think he's listening to our episode on clues. Yeah. He says he is shouting Maltese Vulcan aloud around the 40 minute mark with Sydney Greenstreet as the fat man, Casper Gutman. He was also in Casablanca and portrayed most relevant to clues, the agoraphobic Epicurean shut-in Detective Nero Wolf. Um, yeah, so that's that's the, the thing I couldn't remember. Yes, <laughs> that's the name of the, of the, the classic Vulcan. film noir. That's the one. That's the one. Um, I like the idea of an agoraphobic Epicurean shut-in. That's like what we all are in 2020. We're all um, (laughs) (laughs) agoraphobic. Epicurean, I think, just means someone who enjoys food, which, let me tell you, it's it's off the charts. Okay, I was waiting for you. I didn't know what that means. (laughs) I was waiting for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've all got that Nero Wolf energy going on. For sure. Um. Another tweet we've got from Jeff Spender. Uh, they said, thanks so much for recommending Kentucky Route Zero, guys. Having just heard the name, I assumed it was some sort of racing game. But thanks to your comments, I'm now two-thirds of the way through and I absolutely love it. Cheers. Well, that's nice to, that someone's enjoying a game we recommended. Um, actually, while we're on that subject, I was thinking... Um, uh, I'm probably for, for for people who are listening to this and and are sad that there's going to be no more uh, episodes of this podcast. I'm gonna me and Rosie did an, an episode for my podcast uh, Utopian Horizons on Kentucky Route Zero, we did. which was on the Patreon. But I think I'm going to put it up on the main feed like in a, this week or something. Uh, oh, cool. So if you want to hear me and Rosie again, then. Yeah, Utopian Horizons. Search for that. Oh, I'm going to put that one up on the main Fantastic. feed. Fantastic. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a very beautiful game. Um, uh, uh yeah, lovely that Jeff's enjoying himself. Mm. Um, we have also an email from Rachel. Um, Rachel's been playing the um Beyond a Steel Sky, which was a sequel to Beneath a Steel Sky. And mm-hmm. um, we read an email out from her um, a little while ago talking about that. And we were interested to know how Beyond- she got on with Beyond a Steel Sky. Um, she said it was brilliant. She had a lot of fun. Unfortunately, she didn't have loads of time to play it in. But the time she did, uh, she found it to be a great and satisfying reboot. Mm. She says it looks really co- uh, really good. It's so colourful and shiny. It has the wit and humour you'd expect from a revelation uh, revolution game. The story is basically the reverse of the original and the utopia created at the end of the first game now feels like anything but. Society is graded by an incentivized social credit system which limits and opens up access to different levels of the city. You have to find a missing child. There is a dark secret to be uncovered. There's lots of hacking to be done. I like hacking. Yeah. <laughs> Let's enjoy a hack in a video game. Mm. Um, she got stuck a couple of times and had to use the excellent hint system um, due to her time constraint, but working out the puzzles really got her brain ticking wonderfully. And it got her thinking about clues. She says, in the original Beneath the Steel Sky, once or twice, I struggled to know what I was supposed to be doing to move the game forward. And I realized I was not paying enough attention to the amusing dialogue. I was enjoying it rather than listening out for clues. In both games, many of the clues are within the dialogue as they are both character-driven games. And if you don't speak to someone or don't fully listen to everything, the clues are missed. Okay, I can get impatient sometimes. It may even require you to speak to someone who is already ex- who you have already exhausted conversation earlier in the game. That definitely caught me out in the new game. Sometimes you forget what someone has said and in the original game, it was not always possible to go back and ask again. In the new game, this was not a problem. So there we go. So yeah. Yeah. Clues uh, in the dialogue. Yeah, definitely a, a, a common thing in adventure games. Uh, uh, well, sure. I th- actually, I should say, another game, talking about recommendations and games that we've picked up, 
and mm. clues and dialogue. Um, I played a bit of Phoenix Wright. Um, oh, did Ace you? Attorney. <laughs> yes, but following your strong recommendation okay. last time, you said you really enjoyed them. Uh, yeah, really fun. Definitely uh, having a really good time. That was another one that me and Dave kind of played together because uh, it was quite good to kind of be able to strategize and figure out what it was we were supposed to be looking for and stuff. Um, but yeah, lots of clues in the dialogue there. And the um, the the flow of the uh, court scenes is just super fun and dramatic. Oh, it's and amazing, like, isn't it? It's yeah. really good. The way it like turns and spins and stuff, like the yeah. way it has that kind of um, uh, a TV-like narrative propulsion to it. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's really, as well, I've I said it... Um... Because what, what, what am I thinking of this? I think I wrote... Oh, I wrote something about it for, for, for Retro Game Magazine. Yeah. Um, oh, I was cool. Because I was saying as well, like, the... Because it's got... It's pretty much still images. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not... But it feels so kinetic. Like, yes. it creates... It, like, those scenes, just the... It's... Yeah, the images... Are, there's very little actual animation, but the, the, the kind of... The way it's cut, like the like you said, those swipes and just the 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 speech, the the, the signature speech bubbles and stuff give it such a sense of like dynamism. Uh, yeah, it's so much fun. Absolutely, the- yeah. It's like watching like it's like it's like a tennis game or something like that. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you far into it? Or? Um, I think we've done the first three. We got like the whole the whole oh. lot. There's like a thing. There's like a thing on Switch where you can get um on Nintendo where you can get like the first three games i think uh-huh. so i think we've done the thir- first three cases we've just done that's one quite a bit though isn't it yeah I think there's yeah. only five or something maybe right so we've just done one where we are in a film studio where they're filming a tv show about the that samurai guy the samurai yeah the cyber uh, samurai that's thing got <laughs> weird that's got the the yeah, that's the one thing I don't like about those games. The like, there's that cat. You know, there's that character there who's kind of like. Um, there's this thing where it's kind of um, suggesting he's um, sexually attracted to your assistant, who is a child. Yeah, uh, and it yeah, plays yeah, yeah. it off as a joke. Yeah. Like it's meant to be. Oh funny. my god, that was so creepy! Yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, like the director guy. Yeah. Um, yes. So you do get stuff like that sometimes in the Ace Attorney games, which is uh, not so nice. But um, if yeah. you just get past those bits, um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like yeah, that was a huge amount of fun. So we'll get stuck back into that when we have like a, an afternoon. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, thank you for your feedback, guys. Mm. Okay. Let's talk about some apocalypse then. Okay, the apocalypse. <laughs> Fantastic. So where did you? start off with this one um well i had a quick look now this is fantastic podcaster behavior i had a look and i looked up apocalypse in the dictionary because i it occurred to me that i wasn't like sure about the etymology um i mean obviously you're not always sure about the etymology of words but this <laughs> I, I thought it might be interesting um and um and it is it's it's from the greek um for revelation so actually it's um there is this idea, the idea of the apocalypse as the end of the world is relatively modern. That the, the, the term used to be used just for something being revealed. Um, and it's because uh, John's revelation at the end of the Bible is a vision of the end of the world that the, the, terms, the term apocalypse starts to mean the end of the world. But uh, yeah, so I found um, that kind of fitted quite nicely with, with stuff I found because I found a few examples of 
apocalypses and games that are kind of creative, interesting, generative spaces where things get revealed. And I do enjoy an apocalypse in game. Mm. Uh, you know, I always think that's a fun environment to play in. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm just sorry to do this again, but yeah. just because you've you've mentioned it, um, from if you want to hear more on the etymology of apocalypse, oh, um, and uh, uh, apocalyptic time, um, oh. that just reminded me. I also did, I did an episode on Utopian Horizons on Cloud Atlas, and I had somebody on who wrote about uh, yeah, he'd written a book about um, apocalypse and in fiction. And I remember them talking about the etymology of apocalypse and different and the changing idea of like apocalyptic time. So that's there if you want to hear more that. Um that sounds so, super interesting. So I um well I was thinking about like so apocalypse, I was thinking are we so where where are we here? Are we in the apocalypse or are we post apocalypse? And I was thinking I mean, I think I tended to f- focus on post-apocalypse. I think there's probably more games that are set after the apocalypse. Um, or uh, Actually, um, there are quite a lot of games about preventing the apocalypse. Yes. Um, although it's often... This sounds like a weird thing to say, given the gravity of an apocalypse, but it's often quite a... It feels like quite a meaningless thing. Like, it's just the... It's just like a nebulous, like apocalypse is is unquestionably bad so like this is the thing you you have to stop it's not like anything that's engaged with in any kind of meaningful way i think often so like it's it's definitely a jrpg thing like there's loads of jrpgs where you have to prevent the apocalypse um those games tend to be uh quite melodramatic and everything's mm. on the grandest scale and everything's hyper exaggerated so it makes sense that the threat you have to deal with is the apocalypse um yeah so like you know i think most of the uh, a lot of the final fantasies you're preventing some kind of right. apocalypse um i'm sure there's lots of other jrpgs like that as well uh, as a sorry go on Oh no! I was just going to say you actually like. I was thinking about the Bioware um, RPGs, like the big, big classic mm. sort of like Mass Effect, Dragon Age. Those are normally the same kind of deal. Okay, yeah, there uh, just you go. preventing some kind of end of the world is coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, I think there, there tends to be a focus on games of post-apocalypse. But I was just uh, to touch on a couple of games that happen kind of during an apocalypse, which is, I think is maybe a bit more unusual. Uh, Chrono Trigger. Uh, again, a JRPG mm-hmm. that came out. Oh, I'm going to make a mistake now. I, I think it originally came out on the Super Nintendo, but that might be wrong. Uh, it was also on the PlayStation, and there was a DS version later. Um, so it's a time-traveling JRPG. Uh, right. There is a... I think it's in like an alien, um, or maybe it's some kind of god, or, or an alien god, I don't know, called Lavos, who arrives on Earth, but then it's kind of like um, I think it's like hib- it needs to like hibernate for like a thousand years or something. I- I'm just picking a time out of today. Like, okay. uh, I can't yeah. remember the detail, but so it-, it it takes place over a long period of time, and you jump between time periods and you visit the time after Lavos had like basically fucked everything up. So there's still like there's still some people there. But like it's it's like post apocalypse basically, um, and it's uh, more more like sci fi then, whereas like the 
earlier parts of the game and like fantasy it's like classic you know so you jump between all these time periods as you're trying to defeat lavos and i think you can fight lavos at like any time because you can jump to the point where you need to fight lavos anytime you want but you won't be able to do that until um yeah you do certain things like for your average person um right and then at some point you you have to like then change the future by defeating lavos so yeah that was a bit of a different one uh also outer wilds which i've talked about before oh yeah which is the game where you explore a solar system um that ends every 22 minutes with the exploding of the sun in the center of it it sets you back to the beginning of a cycle so it's literally like a, a repeating apocalypse um which provides for a very unique kind of game in terms of what they were able to do in terms of making you be able to play in time and space in terms of having each of the planets that you can explore change over time and the possibilities of what you can do uh, are affected by when you visit them. Um, so you have to kind of work out how to use time as well as like exploring the space, which is a really cool and interesting thing. That sounds really uh, good, yeah. Uh, there was a, we had, again, I asked for, for suggestions on the range touch and no cartridge discords. This was one of the suggestions from uh, Andy as well. Um, now he said this is major spoilers I don't think it is okay so, I'm going to read it out Bold. if you don't want to hear this I don't think it's where's the last episode but like you know <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna make everyone angry wait just get forward like 30 seconds or something but he said um, it manages the, the ending manages to mingle the profound sadness of a dying universe or everything that universe's people accomplished and hope for a new universe um yeah i don't think that tells you much if you don't no, know that, what no you know, that sounds sounds um, nice but he's uh right for sure um so yeah that that kind of thing of there's an apocalypse where you're that you're aware of it that you're constantly like searching for a meaning for or and like a resolution for like what is this why is it happening and the whole game's about discovering it's already like kind of an apocalypse because there's this civilization that was there before that's gone right so you you're already like kind of picking through the remnants of like something yeah. um and then you've got also this one and you're trying to yeah so it just resonates with the whole idea of the game of like trying to discover like what's going on why is this happening trying to find like meaning and all this stuff yeah, I mean, that's an absolutely classic move, actually, isn't it? Having it so that there is a previous civilization that has gone before and that also ended. Mm-hmm. And um, no, so that is in, um, again, um, it's in it's in the Mass Effect series. Um, it's in uh, Enderal. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's like, there's definitely other examples of it, actually, now I come to think of it. And it's like that thing of having... Um, yeah, being able to engage with the end of the world just before it happens because you're engaging with like the material artifacts of a previous, a previous happening, a previous instance of it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a good way of giving you like a 
clues. <laughs> so it is a good like, way of giving you clues. I mean, that's the function it serves in Mass Effect. It's like, uh, and in Enderal, is that like, you know, oh, this previous civilization dealt with this before. So mm. maybe we can stop it this time by using, you know, the tech that they just were not quite able to finish um, mm. and, and stuff like that. Actually, um, Horizon Zero Dawn, of course, would be uh, an example of that as well. Did you play Horizon? No, I didn't. It's that's fine. like I de- I definitely had uh, open world fatigue around yes. when that came out. Um, yeah, I think that's understandable. It's it's actually it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I found it pretty engaging while I was playing it, and then sort of haven't been that fast to uh, go back to it. But hunting the robot dinosaurs was very fun. Uh, it does I'll look good. That. It yeah. is. I mean, it's su- it is actually like super fun to play, and it has like really good characterization and stuff. But like you say, yeah, I think it suffers slightly from being very much one a very very good instance of mm. what is nevertheless a hugely overplayed <laughs> genre of games. Yeah. Um, okay. So right. So I've got a first apocalypse here that um, that I liked, um, which is. Um, I was thinking about different kinds of, I mean, like you were saying, often the apocalypse is like this kind of flat, you know, oh, the world is just ending. And it's kind of like this kind of generic thing. It's not like, what does that mean? You know, what what is ending? What is the nature of this ending that is sort of coming upon us? Um, and uh, the first one that I thought of, um, that I thought was quite an interesting one, was the rat plague in Dishonored. Uh, <laughs> almost, forgot <laughs> almost forgot the word yeah um, so that's Dishonored by Arcane uh, it came out in 2012 and there's been subsequent games very good series me and Paul both enjoy a lot mm. um, and and what we see in that is a kind of very emotional um, take on, on apocalypse on the ending of things um, one thing you can do in fiction is you can tell a story about the end of the world but set it alongside a very kind of personal sense of loss and that gives you know much more intimate sort of um shade to this this world ending um because it becomes a time of real emotional devastation um and it also i think becomes a way that you can talk about how emotional devastation can feel um you know give it that scale you know um so um before we get into dishonored actually one game that does that really well is hellblade senua's sacrifice um Mm. by ninja theory which came out in 2017 uh a lovely lovely game um i didn't i found it more interesting than enjoyable uh which i'm never sure whether that's a compliment but I, i do think it's very very good really quality piece of work um, in which a young woman who's um, she's a picked um, her people are killed during uh, Viking raids so we, I guess we're talking around the 800s um, and she travels to Viking hell to save the soul of her boyfriend um, so she is kind of battling through this landscape of she's going through hell um metaphorically and literally and um the the sort of landscape she travels through is sort of ambiguously internal and external at times you know it's clear she's dealing with you're kind of in her sort of psyche space Mm. at times it's very obvious you're in a kind of theological kind of hellscape and at times it feels like you're traveling through you know these devastated villages which have been raided uh really really good game Uh, as i say very very beautiful and thoughtful um but yeah 
Dishonored um, also does this kind of mixing of internal and external and this this sadness to the world uh, really beautifully. So in Dishonored, you are playing um, a... He's an ex-bodyguard, right? Um, he's called Corvo Atano, and he was the bodyguard of the Empress. Empress, <laughs> Empress Jessamine, yeah. And and you find out, actually, he was her lover as well. Um, and at the very beginning of the game, Empress Jessamine is killed. Um, Corvo doesn't save her, and moreover, actually gets the blame for the assassination. So he is in a fallen state as we go into the world and he is in a state of devastation. And so is the world itself because the world itself is is being swept up. The city of Dunwall is uh, suffering the rat plague, which is a huge kind of widespread illness and um, which is spread by rats, obviously inspired by the, um, the Black Death in the 1300s. Um, but the... Um, the nice thing about the this rat plague, as I say, is is this like extreme sadness to it. It's like the um the victims, the people who fall ill of of the plague, they kind of they become very sick, they go mad, and then they eventually sort of die. Um and sort of mechanically they behave a lot like zombies, I guess. And I think that was mm. Uh, you know the game came out in 2012 so everything has to have zombies in it but um but they are called weepers because there's like blood coming out of their eyes um and it's like so rather than just do like a straightforward kind of zombie thing they went for this kind of very sad um looking kind of um illness mm. and it has this yeah this terribly downcast aspect as does the whole city of uh, Yarnum, not the Yarnum, Dunwall. And uh, one way that you engage with that is the heart, which obviously you did a video about um, for the YouTube channel, mm. which was very good. Um, but yeah, the heart is you carry around the heart, which is the um, actually the heart of the Empress, but it speaks. It's difficult to describe mm. what, what the heart is. A very weird kind of object to have in a game. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, when you point at things, you hear little revelations from the Empress or from from a disembodied voice, um, and um, and it's always pointing out how sad the world is. It's always pointing out, you know, how miserable everyone is, how everything is kind of poor and thin and stretched, mm. um, and it's yeah, it's a really really lovely way to explore the kind of. Yeah, just like the sadness of the end of the world or or how sadness can feel like the end of the world, I suppose, as well. Uh, something which I hadn't thought of, but uh, I've just thought of now. Um, the I suppose as well in Dishonored, you see how when you get one of... The, in terms of thinking of apocalypse and in terms of like endings, like when you get one of these apocalyptic things coming a plague or a famine or something yeah. then that opens up the possibility for like um or that or that breaks strains or tensions that are already there um mm-hmm. and which and and that opens up uh the potential for for an ending of of like the things as they are which is what happens yes. in this game in terms of the empress getting overthrown and um you kind of there are there are suggestions i suppose of like of uh 
tensions within the city, even if it's not something that's explored outright in terms of the you know the inequality and, and stuff that's there. So quite relatable, uh, <laughs> quite a relatable <laughs> state of affairs, really. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's it's not like a an apocalypse in terms of like the ending mm. of a world, but it's it's like a, a, the ending of a particular uh system or like structure uh yeah absolutely and it and it feels like i mean when the black death came on um came upon um you know much of the sort of connected globalized world at the time um that was you know it felt like the end of the world to everyone um and obviously you know the huge huge i think it was a third of all people um in the in the areas that were affected by the plague died um uh, but, you know, actually, um, in some ways, when looking back, it was kind of generative thing and it did end uh, various uh, aspects of the social structure at the time. Feudalism probably got, you know, finally put down by the Black Death. Um, so, yeah, so a time of uh, great, great change is upon the world of um, Dishonoured and, and perhaps, you know, our world as well. Who knows? Mm. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um. So one of the questions that I kind of asked is uh, why the apocalypse is popular in mm. games. Oh, yeah. As a theme. Um, to which I guess I kind of had two main answers. Uh, one of which is that it allows you to kind of clear things out so that you can do what you want. Um, by which I mean it, it removes any potential moral quandaries yes. uh, in a game in a jo- uh, in a medium which is often about killing people. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have like a, a, a kind of post-apocalypse scenario or, or I guess apocalypse in motion, um, y- you will find that generally everybody is a psychopath and <laughs> is 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 out to get you with like no. Like there's no kind of way around that. It's just like these these people are like completely gone and they're going to kill you. So this makes it very easy for you to justify you killing lots of people. Um, and it it provides a way. I guess and so there's lots of games where there's kind of um, like a um, a you're going on like a path of some kind of like mastery or like colonization over like an, a world or an area so if you think about like the far cry series for example right you're yeah. essentially kind of like you take over these you're kind of like colonizing like a, a, a native island which has like obvious problems to it again yeah. if you make it like an apocalypse you can off to an ex- full of, if you make an apocalypse full of psychopaths you can kind of have that same structure without the the kind of the obvious moral issues, I guess, of like, look, this is all completely fucked. And like all these screaming weirdos are, are like um, going to like murder and torture you. So like feel free to just, uh, yeah, kill everybody and take over everything. There's, there's no problems there. Yeah, go wild. Yeah. Um, I think this shows um that the there's this genre i guess post-apocalypse games at least have quite a dim view of humanity and human nature um which is i think not actually confined to video games i think it's a general view 
the idea that when things get tough, uh, people will start killing each other. Like, they will start turning against each other. Um, obviously ties into... Resonates with, like, ideas of, like, survival of the fittest and all this. Like, very right-wing ideas of human nature. Of, like, what people are and how they will behave. But actually, when you start talking about... Like, if you think about, like how people think about like climate change or what would what would happen post-climate change. I think across the political, political spectrum, people buy into this idea that humans are kind of, um, yeah, incredibly individualistic and out for themselves and everyone's going to start killing and stealing from each other and all this. Um, there, uh, uh, Rutger... Bergman, who mm-hmm. who became uh, he's famous as being the guy in that video that went viral, um, talking about taxing. Okay, yes, yes. He had a book come out this year, which I haven't read, but um, it's called uh, "Humankind: A Hopeful History," and it's basically all about uh, the, this idea that people in hard times or when something bad happens, they kind of and turn against each other and do this and he kind of draws he he kind of draws on historical examples and like psychology and all these different fields of science to say that actually the evidence suggests quite the opposite um that if in these kind of crisis scenarios people do not um like if you look at he's like i guess you know stuff like you can even see it like if uh when a tsunami happens or an earthquake Mm, happens mm. people are uh, out, out there trying to like pull the rubble off, like you know, and pull yes. people, like yeah. yeah. So he he basically goes through all these examples to kind of suggest that the opposite is true. So I thought that was worth like mentioning, like to go as a counterpoint to this idea that because I think it's so prevalent and isn't actually true. Um, well, yeah, um, I, I would say on that actually, I had exactly the same point. Um, that the author who okay. I would reference is Marshall Salins. Um, who is um, an anthropology who studied economics, particularly his work there is really fantastic. He was the supervisor of David Graeber, who um, oh. we lost recently, who's a, a very important anthropologist in the uh, thinker in the Occupy um, movement. Um, but Salins's work is just so humanistic. Like it's really, really beautiful. Um, and he has a book called The Western Illusion of Human Nature, where mm-hmm. he talks about this idea that we have in the West um, and it is very specifically cultural to the West. It seems to be coming perhaps from the Greeks, uh, from the Greek philosophers, he suggests. Mm. Um, that, yeah, you scratch the surface of a person and what you've got underneath it is this slavering beast that's ready to kill. And it's 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 not true. It's never been true. Exactly as you say, Paul, you know, the examples that we actually have in history do not show people doing this. It is not the case that your neighbor Viv from down the road is going to stove your head in the second the lights go out. But like, just think about it. Of course, that's not true. And um, uh, we have examples, for instance, Easter Island suffered an actual ecological collapse and they knew it was coming and it happened and suddenly the soil can no longer produce food. They can no longer go out on ships because there's no trees left. It was it was a whole mess. There's some very interesting uh, documentaries about Easter Island. But people were stuck on the island with no way really of very, very sparse ways of getting food for themselves suddenly. Um, and they couldn't escape. They couldn't uh, build boats because there were no ships. So they couldn't go out and fish and they couldn't leave the island. And still 
society didn't collapse. Society is not really something that's incredibly weak and always on the verge of collapse. We don't need to particularly worry about that. Um, social bonds often get stronger under extreme stress. Uh, so yeah, so it's um, it's actually quite a damaging idea we have of human nature, I think, um, but perhaps reassuring to know um, that it's it doesn't seem to be borne out in, mm-hmm. in reality, as, even yeah. though it happens in video games a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I got what just to to kind of close that off. I got yeah. one uh, little example that I pulled from. Yeah, there was an article that uh, Rutger, uh, not Bergman, Bregman uh, mm-hmm. wrote, um, presumably while he was promoting his book because it's the same thing. So this is from uh, this is from this is from Wikipedia. Um, uh, in an article for the Guardian, published in May 2020, Bregman describes the true story of a group of schoolboys from Tonga who were shipwrecked on the deserted island of Atta with few resources and no adult supervision. Bregman draws a parallel with the classic fiction novel Lord of the Flies. However, he highlights how much the real life story does not turn out the same way as Lord of the Flies. Bregman was able to track down the captain of the fishing boat who rescued the boys in 1966, Peter Warner, son of Australian businessman Arthur Warner, and also one of the rescued individuals, uh, Mano Tautau. I probably pronounced that wrong. He interviewed Warner and got the full story of the boys' ordeal and their rescue, including the fact that Warner hired all of them as crew members for his fishing boat. In the case of the Tongan schoolboys, they they immediately came up with a set of rules to govern their conduct and to ensure full cooperation. When one boy fell from a height and broke his leg, the others rushed to provide him with medical care. After they were rescued, medical professionals were impressed by the quality of the healed leg. So yeah, that's just an example of like a fiction, like Lord of the Flies versus the reality of the same situation. And it's often not so, yeah, as we said, not so pessimistic as we, we might think. Absolutely. It sounds like those boys created more society, actually, to fill in yeah. the gap, you know, and that's actually mm. what people tend to do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I did have some examples from video games. Uh, so some more that I was thinking about with this kind of theme, mm-hmm. the idea that people, I mean, it has a particular shade to it as well. I think this idea we have in the West, which is that it's a falling back to the animal. Right. Mm -hmm. So people, you scratch the surface of a person, you get a beast Um, that people are just always ready to revert back. It always feels like a backwards motion to some kind of very atavistic kind of grasping. You're just appetite and um, and and, you know, violence. Yeah, that we're being held back by this. Exactly. Yeah. Fragile. uh, um, Kind of a structure of society that's just managing to hold those impulses in. Only just, yeah, yeah, we're just about being reined in. Um, and yeah, I mean, Salens talks about this. He says that, you know, in a lot of the world, you wouldn't think that people are basically beasts. Um, a lot of a lot of sort of mythic cultures and stuff address the idea that um, actually, no, animals are basically human. Like animals have society and they are people like you can be mates with and, and you know, have all sorts of like um, complexity and wisdom and thoughtfulness um, rather than we have this like idea sort of the other way round and almost like, you know, we have a very mm. low view of animals and we think that we're just like that as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and it's, 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 it's a shame. But as you say, in games, it justifies loads of mechanics. I was thinking about, I mean, you know, the big one, I guess, is classic, is um, Fallout series. Um, and particularly, I think, the Bethesda Fallout games. Uh, Fallout 3 is a fantastic example. Um, so you walk around, and similarly, as you were saying in Far Cry, people are like basically animals. Like, they're they're behaving in ways that are 
um, just extremely violent and, and just automatically hostile. Um, they uh, And so it's absolutely fine to run and like kill a band of raiders immediately because they'll just do the same to you. Mm. And it, it kind of goes all the way down. It's like um, there's no art and creation in fallout 3 it's quite an ugly game when you go back and play it it's just kind of brown Mm. um and um and it's just like a bunch of people sitting around in ruins not Mm. beautifying them not making them better in any way eating expired old microwave meals um Mm. and that's just you know what they're gonna do so there's no yeah it's the idea of all progress having been lost everything just falling back but there was an example I thought about the end of the world and people becoming bestial or beast-like that is much more interesting and positive, and that's Bloodborne. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going there. <laughs> <laughs> because in Bloodborne, of course, there is a plague upon the city of Yarnum and people are becoming beasts, and it certainly is the end of the world. And yet, um, it's not like the idea of becoming beast-like. You know, the uh, so the plague makes people... They grow very long fingernails and lots of hair everywhere. And and some people go even further down the scale and become like great big werewolves and shit. It's very Mm. cool. Um, But um, it's not it's not like this boring backwards kind of stagnant motion. It's actually like a motion towards a weird new future um, that Bloodborne does. That is uh, it feels much more interesting. It feels like the beasts are not, uh, as I say, they're some kind of evolution yeah. <laughs> of humanity. And like a very nightmarish, you know, like you're moving towards some absolute hell nightmare future. But at least it's weird and cool and kind of beautiful. Um, and, yeah, you know, all these, there's these grand idea of like becoming gods, basically. And... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this stuff and about humanity moving forward. And definitely everyone who is into that in the in the context of of bloodborne is completely insane they've all lost their minds mm. but it's it just feels like um creation it feels like a mm. yeah like a generative thing um so yeah so that's the apocalypse where people become beasts that i think i most approve of yeah you made me think of a couple of other examples there i guess would be mm-hmm. uh, mad max which i haven't actually played but i guess that from seeing the films that kind of epitomizes the um and uh in the borderlands series the enemies called psychos <laughs> which, right um yeah mask wearing guys that like charge at you screaming with, like, yeah so yeah lots of examples of that um my other answer to the question of why the apocalypse is popular is it's prevalent uh everywhere um like across all mediums because Mm. it's very prevalent in our imaginaries because of multiple looming crises uh most obviously (laughs) most obviously climate change yeah um so the reason it's there is obviously because uh fiction offers often expresses our anxieties about the future or our lack of it um there's this thing uh there's this very famous phrase um attribute i've probably mentioned it before i don't know uh attributed to frederick jameson uh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism right there's lots of games that imagine the end of the world um i i think this suggests uh, i think lots of people are aware of 
the extent to which capitalism is tied up in uh, climate change and the and the way that uh, confronting capitalism would be necessary to averting climate change. I think it says mm. something that, uh, unfortunately, there are plenty of examples of us imagining the apocalypse. There aren't that many examples of us averting it in a meaningful way in terms yeah. of... Right. And in fact, capitalism often persists in the apocalypse in video games. Um, I think that says a lot. The fact that you, the fact that they these games, like we said, they have the apocalypse so they can clear everything out. But but there's such a, a paucity of imagination. There's such a uh, there's a there's a deliberately cultivated stagnation of the imagination when it comes to imagining alternatives to capitalism and and here i'm not like criticizing developers and saying they're not imaginative i'm saying within like within like culture at large like yeah uh, it's been there's been such a concerted effort uh, like ideologically that it is that this is what the phrase is is getting at it's not like it's not just saying like oh everybody it's not like criticizing people for like being under is saying like it's literally incredibly difficult to think outside of capitalism and imagine like alternatives like it's really really hard to do um so what happens is you clear everything out but capitalism just like appears again because like yeah. they're unable to like imagine a different structure so in the fallout games for example you will be able to you will collect junk and find stuff that you can sell you would do jobs for money you can uh it, it, lots of these games you, you do these kind of structures you do work you buy houses um people yeah people have jobs of 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 some kind yeah you get like raiders and stuff but mm. um there's still like that's not that's not that doesn't indicate like an alternative to capitalism like crime existed in capitalism like the, the fundamental system is the same so I think this is revealing uh, of our kind of um, our imaginary uh, horizons and like what, what we're able to do uh, in these spaces. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess there's also, there's also a kind of um, subconscious appeal to, to this as well. This is the, uh, I guess I'm going on to a different, reason now but um but uh, (laughs) am i talking too much no (laughs) okay um so the they um so obviously the the climate change or the apocalypse is quite a scary thing these Mm. games allow you the apocalypse to become uh something you can conquer and like dominate so something that where you can like become in like a fallout game you can become powerful and wealthy enough to an extent where you're pretty safe you know what i mean like you can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. then the, the, the world becomes like manageable then mm. um there are lots of games that i guess have this as part of the appeal a, a lot harder to like gain kind of safety or some kind of safety in but like daisy or, or the long dark or stalker like these various games that have like some element of surviving in the apocalypse um you can't yeah not not so much as as fallout in terms of being able to become powerful but you can at least get better at surviving 
mm. and something mm. you can you can get management. And I think the the best example of this in terms of games that make the apocalypse or like present the apocalypse in that kind of a psychologically uh what's what's the it's like a salve for like the the the, the confronting the apocalypse are uh, uh, battle royales right um so, so again for anyone who doesn't know these are games where you uh multiple people uh, online games where multiple people normally a lot of people so like 100 people or something all get chucked into a map and you fight against each other until one person is left or one team is left and then they are the winner um they are all pretty much quite light in terms of story but they if you look they all tend to be have some kind of connection to like a post-apocalyptic event so again sorry but i did a whole episode on this as you told right. horizons <laughs> so uh yeah that royales is, is is what i talked about so i'm kind of i've nicked this from that episode Fair but, enough. um but but so uh because they all have like some kind of minimal like fictional justification as to like why you're in this place fighting each other so um so the original so like daisy um was uh oh sorry not daisy that's that i'm thinking of um, um the uh there's a version that came out of daisy that was uh no it wasn't daisy the daisy copy somebody made a copy of daisy and then they made a battle royale version of it um, oh wow but whatever that was a zombie zombie apocalypse obviously um PUBG is an abandoned island that was uh occupied by the russian military who did chemical and biological tests on the population um fortnite was originally a zombie game before it got like kind was of it? transformed right yeah it was like a build still building and stuff but it was like a but then they, they completely changed the game basically to, right. as to what it is now. But that that's kind of where it originated. Uh, Apex Legends is set kind of in uh, the aftermath of like a massive devastating war where people people were forced to left leave their homes and they ended up in what's called the Outlands. And that this blood sport takes place in this kind of rough frontier context um, where people are like used to conflict. Um, but what's important, it, all these games, which uh, the way I'm describing it, right, like the, the the backdrop and what you do, you go in with a hundred of people and you kill each other until one person's left. Yeah. Sounds quite dystopian, right? But they're not experienced as dystopian at all. Right. They are, um, so they, they are presented as fun. Um, they are fun to play. Um, they tend to be quite... PUBG not so much um but they tend to be quite lighthearted, uh like Apex Legends and Fortnite yeah I think of Fortnite as being like super colorful yeah, like, is, yeah right yeah yeah um but they all uh embody the survivor of the fittest idea to like its most <laughs> um like yeah to the, to the most obvious degree that's literally what what they are um they're all like this kind of post-apocalyptic setting but they allow you to experience the post-apocalypse as something that's fun and to live out the fantasy that you can still win in this context like you you can be successful uh and like nothing 
so this is like like i said this survival of the fittest idea is, is part of the ideology that underpins capitalism and you just keep going with that ideology after the apocalypse and you can still win with it like you don't have to, right. nothing has to change um yeah so i think this is a really good example of of like making the apocalypse and, and bear in mind that the climate crisis lose, looms particularly large in the minds of young people and these yeah. games are incredibly popular with young people so i think there's something there the idea that maybe they provide a kind of like i said like a salve for yeah dealing with the apocalypse in our imaginations yeah, sorry that was a lot of talking <laughs> no i mean but i think i think you're probably right and it is interesting to think about the appeal of it for young people um I while you're talking as well, I did have a thought about I uh, about a game that imagines post-apocalypse and it's no longer capitalist. And I think oh, I mentioned it going in. It's uh, Half Life Two. Oh right. <laughs> the, yeah. the world has been taken over by the alien combine force, and um, yeah, there is there is notably, well, I think notably no more capitalism because um, there's no advertising on the drinks can which is one of the first items that oh, i talked yeah. about uh yeah so there we go so it just needs like you can imagine it if it's being done by evil i suppose uh the end of um capitalism or that makes it easier perhaps i guess it's kind of uh given the visual influences as well it's a bit more like a kind of communist yes absolutely it's like the idea they're going for i guess yeah, there's some reason why they're drawing on so much like Soviet iconography and, and design and the architecture and stuff like that, I guess. Anyway, there we go. Um, all right. Well, I've got one more um, big apocalypse that I was thinking about. Okay. Um, so we've talked about, um, yes, the revelation of the heart, uh, the revelation perhaps of human nature. Um, uh, although me and Paul, as I say, don't really subscribe to the idea that that is human nature. Um, but yeah... Um, Perhaps uh, an apocalypse that is not a revelation that actually precludes the idea of learning and meaning. I have talked about it before and I'm going to talk about it here again. And it's Dark Souls. Okay. Um, well, wait, I'm, I'm glad you've got that in, in, the, in the last episode. <laughs> got to go there. back. Got to go back to Dark just, Souls. Just try and get Skyrim in before the end. <laughs> I know. Well, um, isn't that, isn't uh, that an apocalypse when that dragon Yeah, comes? yeah, totally. There's going to be, it's right, going to just be go. all it's going to be dragons all the way down from here on out i think unless unless you stop it in skyrim so there we have it um yeah so okay so um the the really interesting thing that dark souls does is that um there is certainly an end upon the world that's completely undeniable when you kind of rock up in the uh cursed kingdom of whether it's lordran or dranglaic or lothran depending on one of the three games um Clearly, the end of the world has come. Uh, there's um, lots of people, sort of, sort of, kind of like the husks of soldiers and stuff, fighting around, uh, wandering around, who are now like mindless zombies. Um, you do meet other sort of fellow travellers as you're sort of wandering around yourself, um, but they are confused. I think is the way to put it. Nobody seems quite sure why they're there. And you're not really that sure either. When when your quest is described to you at the beginning, it's extremely vague. Um, and um, it's just kind of generic fantasy stuff, but it, it's very difficult. It's like, oh, the undead, you know, the chosen undead will ring the bell of awakening and then the the fate of the undead shall be learned. And and that's it. And And you don't really ever get much more than that. It never kind of 
becomes this big, oh, that's what I'm doing here, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's like a falling apart of meaning. It's like a, a ruin of, of the possibility of meaning itself. This is actually something that is explored in another post-apocalyptic text, uh, The Road. Have you read The Road? No, I haven't. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, very good indeed, I think, but I fucking hated my experience reading The Road. Yeah. It's so I mean... stressful. Yeah, um, very, it looks very bleak to say really. It's bleak is the word. Uh, like it is just bleak. The novel. Um, mm. It's um, it's it's very much playing on that idea. Me and Paul were talking about that the end of the world will come as a complete loss of humanity. Um, so a uh, there's been a big ecological crisis, and a man and his son are wandering around America. His son was born post fall. His son was born just as the world had fallen apart. Um, and so the boy knows nothing about the world before other than what his dad is trying to teach him. And as they kind of travel through America, trying to find a safe place to settle, there are just bandits everywhere. Um, there are full on cannibals, um, who are like after them. It's, it's very, very frightening and stressful. Um, but there's a bit where the boy and his father come across an old load of supplies, um, like a supply cache. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got flair in it. Um, and the man explains to the boy, he's like, oh, this is a, you know, this will go up in the air and make a big light. And the boy really wants to set it off. Uh, mm-hmm. He wants to wait for nightfall and set it off. And the man is like, you know, that's a really bad idea. There's cannibals everywhere. Like, <laughs> they're going to see it. But the boy is like, please, dad, please, dad, we can set it off. It will be like a celebration. The boy just kind of goes, he's, he like reaches for the word and settles on celebration. Um, and it's like the boy doesn't really know what celebration means clearly right. because that's not you need something to be celebrating uh, if for, for there to be a celebration but but in a way it kind of expresses something really beautiful which I think is the idea of the whole book which is about what happens when meaning is decayed what is left you know in some way the boy is right it would be like a celebration to just let off a flare for no particular reason um, but it also very much isn't a celebration because you're not celebrating anything um, and I think that's what Dark Souls Dark Souls actually plays in really similar territory it's like the impossibility the loss of meaning things completely falling apart on a conceptual plane um, that it does so beautifully so as I say as you're wandering around you don't know particularly what your mission is you want to bump into other knights who also don't seem to know particularly what their mission is or at least they start off knowing there's a really good character called Lucatil of Mira. Um, and she comes to the cursed kingdom of Drang Lek on a quest for glory. Um, and she's kind of walking around. You meet her a couple of times and she's like, you know, it's super interesting here. She says, this is a wretched place indeed, but not without traces of its former glory. What could have caused such degradation? So she's kind of a little bit like us, or maybe she's a bit like the player character in games we were talking about last week with clues you know like Mm. when you're wandering around bioshock in rapture and you're like what the hell happened here um and lucatil has that kind of impulse she's interested to put it together but as you encounter her more and more in the game later and later on it just becomes clear that she's suffering the same curse the same memory loss the same kind of becoming vague and drifting away from her goals as everything else she never really finds out what happened in Drang Lek. she just loses her mind as well um and um it's uh it's very 
sad Dark Souls. You know, there is this real bleakness to it because it's this world that can't quite put itself together and can't quite articulate itself. But the really lovely thing that you do in these games is that you get strong within it and you kind of... You never quite figure out what the hell's going on, but you do figure out how to deal with particular bosses. You do figure out how the world is connected together. You do figure out all the sort of shortcuts and stuff like that. And that kind of putting together of meaning does feel like a... It feels like something. It feels like you're actually in some way kicking back against the end of the world. And that's a lovely, lovely thing. And that's the incredible accomplishment of Dark Souls. Um, I said basically this, I know, in an episode of um, Utopian Horizons you did on video games. Um, But I just thought I'd restate it because it is my favourite apocalypse. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, Another thing I had, uh, I was thinking about... uh, Games that are extensively about the apocalypse, but then they're not really. Um, which I was probably mainly thinking about zombies. Yeah. Um, because, like, I don't know, zombies are very commonly get commonly thought of as like being about something. Like, particularly mm-hmm. in that early mm-hmm. days of like zombie films, like you think about uh, what's the famous zombie film called? You know, like the one Night of the in Living Dead or whatever. Uh, that's the day of the living dead there's night of the living dead and then there's know. like the dawn of the dead that's the one in the maybe mall, that I think. yeah, I don't yeah. Know. but whatever you know what i mean like zombies in a mall like yeah. the, the ideas are obvious uh um <laughs> yeah like uh but yeah there's a lot of like I, I think quite often like especially when zombies became very prevalent like it felt like the zombies weren't themselves weren't about anything uh, mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like they had nothing. Like they so, so I was thinking of the Walking Dead games, the adventure games where you play uh, in the first one, first series where you play as uh, Lee, who comes across a young girl called Clementine, whose parents have both been killed. Uh, she has and, and basically kind of takes her under his wing, and and it's kind of about them surviving and their relationship, kind of building as he becomes like a. a a father figure of her basically um i think in a lot of cases um this is also you could i I didn't watch a lot of the tv series but this also happens in the walking dead tv series where the beginning is like are there zombies and quite quickly the zombies become like a a manageable background noise and the story focuses tends to then shift to like the people that you're encountering and what like do you know what I mean? Like what mm. what they're doing? It's not really. They kind of find that like zombies, they, they can deal with the zombies quite quickly. Like yeah, zombies much. become a yeah a kind of narrative mechanic that you can just sort of throw in every now and again. Yeah, uh, but are well, yeah predictable and. Yeah, well, this is exactly it. I think mm. that they're just there to create a context, which is to put people in extreme and dramatic situations. Yeah, uh, which I guess you could view as cheap and uh to some extent kind of is i suppose but uh, i particularly i mean the walking dead certainly is manipulative uh in the way right. it works with its choices and stuff but i like the, the game um but uh yeah i guess it, it kind of links back to that negative idea of we said about because because the idea is like let's put these people in these dramatic and stressful situations and then we can see these extreme behaviors and like yeah break people kind of thing that's the idea um i also thought of the the last of us uh 
that um which obviously is another game of zombies in it uh where i don't think the zombies are particularly uh the zombies certainly even like gameplay wise the zombies i find to be less interesting they i don't feel like they relate to any kind of again they're, they're there to create a context where where things are very violent and people are, are, are kind of struggling to survive and all this and to create mm. that kind of mm. drama and violence like that's what it's there for um i had this i i had this whole thing that i wanted to develop into something more substantial which i haven't been able to do yet which i might still try to do but i'll give a brief version of, of this here um which is about like what the last of us 2 uh is kind of trying to do or uh well subconsciously um as a, like an apocalypse like as, as a as a like like we said like apocalypse can be clearing out for something new yeah and i think you can read the last of us 2 as a as an artifact of uh america struggling to find a vision of of what it is um also as as we've already talked about a difficulty of of imagining what the future could or should look like um so for example it keeps cycling through different visions of america like Mm. very right at the beginning of the game where you walk into franklin which is the town that um has kind of uh been created um by a number so there's there's kind of like a little society that's emerged there um, I guess that's an example of people not like killing each other. You basically have okay. these warring, warring like, but they they have come together and build a little town. Looks exactly like a western. Looks right. like you've just walked into Red Dead, like um, wooden structures and like a high street, wooden walkways, muddy path. Mm-hmm. It, it really strikes you that you're just like in a cowboy um, uh, game suddenly. Um, so that's obviously like a, a classic vision of what America is. Um, I have to be kind of vague for like, I don't want to spoil stuff for people, but I guess I could be vague enough to say there's a bit of like nostalgia for space age America. Right. So it's kind of, we've talked about this before, I think, with spaceships. Like it's kind of golden age idea of like America, like, uh, you know, like a in the 60s, uh, you know, being relatively wealthy and like a, it's kind of golden age and like reaching into space and all this possibility. So there's kind of, yeah. a, and there's a, there's a marked, nost- and we talked about there being like a nostalgia for that. And we see that in The Last of Us. It's another yeah, for that, age. That idea of the future, like a time when the future felt possible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, very melancholic standards for that as a thing that's dead. Mm, uh, mm. that appears in the game in a particular scene um there was what uh is a uh, what's his name rob zachney or something who writes for vice games um called the ending of the game um settler homesteading but queer Ooh. so it kind of uh again i, I don't want to go into too much detail, but but you know the you have this in a way it's like the most um you know this idea of like this very American idea of like your family on like mm. a homestead in like you know you have your big bit of land and you're kind of away from the government, like you know what I mean? This oh yeah. In, yeah, 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 yeah. And you you farm your own. You're yeah, independent. You're independent, rugged self sufficiency. Yeah. Um, 
which again I think is is quite indicative of like the kind of the particularly the uh, imaginative paucity of like liberal politics like all they can do is take this hyper conservative idea of like how a life should be and like put a gay person in it and right like, that, that, yeah. this kind of idea of like you know you know the classic thing like more women prison guards like absolutely the, the best classic liberal imagine, move yeah the yeah. same <laughs> system but yeah. with more gay and black like gay and black people exploiting people as well like, mm, that, mm, that's mm. like the, the kind of best they can they can they can do um so i think that's very indicative of, of that um we get in in this place i mentioned the, the 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 hometown there um also you kind of you would kind of end up pseudo at war with like another like faction town in seattle uh another group there we see attempts to like they they're farming they're raising animals they even are generating renewable energy on like a small scale right. yeah but they're all like these very so the you think of like trends for like small scale self sustainability like permaculture like you know what i mean like doing things like very very small scale like these are little communities doing little projects and you think of that as a means of again for example addressing climate change like they're too like it's nice but like yeah that's not they're like little piecemeal things they're not gonna you need massive systemic change and the same way you feel like there's these little kind of attempts to like it's like they're they're, they're kind of that that's like the place where they're almost coming to like imagining finding a vision of the future that's because like I said I think it's cycling for all these different visions and struggling mm. to find something mm. that sticks and this is like where they're coming a little bit close but like the best again the best they can do are these little small scale piecemeal um visions of of the future uh you know like recycling and growing your own vegetables and, and stuff like it's a way of addressing climate change yeah. um and I think there's there's a lack of any large scale collective vision in there which again I think is telling and also finally the um the way that all these these little like um communities are really shaped by the uh very american culture of uh preppers and survivalists oh right yeah yeah because yeah. these are all very militarized um the these people all the seattle group particularly so it's effectively an army um mm. like mess halls and it's very even but even um franklin where you're from which is much more friendly a place like people have to go out on patrols and everyone's armed and everyone knows how how to fight um so again the fact that these the closest they come to imagining an alternative vision is one that can only be applied after a crisis like not to avert a crisis and again, I think that's significant. There's no ability to imagine how to avoid yes. a crisis, only to prepare a way of dealing with it afterwards. After it's happened, yeah. yeah. I got one more thing, which I'll, I'll frame as a question. Maybe you have thoughts as well. Uh, which is like, what do you think of when you think of like the tone of apocalypse games or post-apocalyptic games? Like, what is the tone? The tone? Yeah. Um, I mean, like brown, like I was saying, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was saying Colour. about Fallout 3. For some reason, Fallout 3 is like 
just this towering thing in my imagination when I put even though I, I think it's I think it is quite emblematic of the way that it's handled in general I guess in, in quite a lot of ways so yeah brown brown rubble um dullness okay I, I was I was thinking there's a, a, you actually end up you actually can get quite a few different ones uh oh, yeah. I don't mean to, um I, I'm thinking of like You've already touched on it, actually, in terms of, like, Dark Souls, I guess, of, like, this kind of sadness or, like, yeah, melancholy. Yeah, yeah. Which even oh, if I you see, think like, of, an emotion, not a colour. Oh, yeah, yeah, I meant, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew that and you were kind of joking. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, brown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, even, like, Journey, I was thinking. Like, again, right. thinking of, like, a civilization yes. that's gone. There's something yeah, very yeah, yeah. sad about something that was clearly there but you have no context for to understand well um yeah a game that does that beautifully of course shadow of the colossus um mm. which has a yeah real sadness to these even as you're like taking down these weird old like giant things um set in the context of like yeah an old ruined civilization and stuff um yeah there's a sort of you weep for them a little bit yeah mm. so i think that's one Sadness. Sadness. I think there's 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 capital R real, <laughs> as in which it ties back to all the cynicism yeah, stuff. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, oh, this is like this is reality. Like this is how things are. This is the real real reality. Like, don't don't have your socks blown off too much as we unveil these secrets of human nature, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, I, I it, can't stand it. Yeah, stuff like you know, <laughs> st- uh, stalker, like your guns jamming and like your right. wounds bleeding and Daisy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's built in, uh, like the the hyper violence of The Last mm. of Us. It's built into the idea of like simulating realness, and it's like, yeah, this is what this is how harsh it is, buddy. Deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it kind of revels in that. Um, so that's yeah, all that cynical stuff you're talking about. Uh, but, but finally, I I think they they are often. Uh, hopeful in little ways like you do find little but even with just like the structure of a video game where you're trying it necessitates you doesn't necessitate you but often uh you are trying to kind of overcome or like um address whatever problems there are that exist with the world so necessarily you end up kind of kind of building or like something new or um like i said in the last of us at least you have like these little towns like you have in franklin where they've built some kind of society or uh yeah i don't know in new vegas uh fallout new vegas you get to new vegas and like okay it's just like a big gambling town but like at least you see like people were not like giving up like they're building Mm, something mm, like you, mm. you at least get something there often i think okay so should we uh run through some suggestions before yes we... yes okay uh on twitter we got from alex at some some way love sorry alex <laughs> uh they said i think it uh talking about well you know we were talking about whether we should do plague or not i mean it's a moot oh, point yeah. at this it's point, a moot but, point <laughs> yeah he, he was suggesting he thinks it's okay because it's very relatable and universal but anyway yeah uh for for plague and apocalypse in general they suggested pathologic 2 and said that, that game i'm sure that game's been suggested for like loads of episodes We've... i so nearly started playing it the other day as well i was gonna do it because on diane uh stuff i do some uh recording of gameplay sometimes uh so i was gonna do that for halloween and then i just thought oh it's probably like really hard 
uh, was my thinking. Oh, I think um, it might be. I don't know. I think it, it, I think it is supposed to be really hard. Um, so I thought maybe that wouldn't be so good for recording, but I definitely want to play it. When are you doing Disco Elysium? For the, oh my God, I should, I, disco, I should do Disco Elysium. Has Disco Elysium got loads of reading in it though? Yeah. Huh. Okay, maybe not. Then. You should play it though. See. I think you should yeah. play it for, in your own time. I think you'd yeah. like it. And it's it's uh is it out? It's coming out on console soon. I think maybe. Okay. Is it? Oh. I think so. Well, it's definitely at some point. It's coming out on uh, PS4, Xbox, Switch. So. Yeah. Right. But anyway, um, so uh, Alex said uh, on Pathologic Two, while it focuses in on a very small part of the world and is often intimate in scope, I don't think I've ever played it anything quite so classically apocalyptic in tone with its blend of mystery, revelation and existential dread. Oh, uh, wonderful. We'd also recommend uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I don't know if you've played that. Never played it. No, no. I've always been interested. Kind of. Is it like a walking sim, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex said... Uh, a, a somewhat unique, at least tonally, variant on the good old the world is suddenly empty and you have to figure out what happened by listening to inexplicable voice recordings trope. Wonderful. Um, we also said, uh, is it me or is Contagion the most common of the video game apocalypses? I mean, you occasionally get nuclear or killer robots, but I feel like some variant of genetic experiment gone wrong, just plain plague, zombies, mushroom zombie, zombies, etc. is especially common. Uh yeah, I think he's probably right. I think you're probably right uh, oh, yeah. there, yeah. I think or that, that might also be a relative recency bias in terms of, I think it's just a, a virtue of zombies becoming popular, um, whenever that was. Uh feels a bit old now. Yeah, it's around but, 2010, yeah. Yeah, but there's, there was loads of zombie games. But yeah, I guess there's still like, yeah, obviously Last of Us 2 and mm. what was that PlayStation 4 exclusive one? Days oh my gone. god, days gone, yeah. yeah. So they're still coming. So, yeah. Always. Um, Andy said Death Stranding comes to mind. Still haven't played that. I'd like to oh, it. yeah. I watched Limmy play it. He had a brilliant time doing okay. deliveries at the end of the world. Yeah, it's a weird game. Yeah. <laughs> Looks very odd. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy says, uh, for all its successes, is a pretty good piece of speculative fiction following mm-hmm. the premise. Uh, and in the end, is deeply interested in the community slash collective response to apocalypse rather than the typical hyper individualism. So that Lovely. may well have been an interesting counterpoint to some of the things that we said in this episode if yes. one of us had played it. But there we unfortunately, go. yeah, that's why we got these suggestions to fill these blanks. Always. Um, uh, Jay from Nowhere said in Final Fantasy uh, uh, Six. The apocalypse that occurs midway through the game that reshapes the world and scatters your party is an amazing sequence. Uh, I wanted to include that because I know n- nothing about that, but I know I've loads of people mentioned this uh, Final Fantasy VI as being like really cool and significant because basically it's like the main bad guy kind of half through way through the game like wins. <laughs> And like ah. does the apocalypse basically? Oh, cool! Uh, so yeah, I don't know the details of that, but I think it's a, an unusual example where like you then there's still like half the game left to yeah, yeah. deal with that. Um, so that's cool. Uh, Rumination, Breath of the Wild is an interesting apocalypse. Uh, obviously, you played this one. Certainly is. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have thought it's like a paused apocalypse. Right. 
they say it's possible to argue a couple of different Zelda games or apocalypses, uh, Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, maybe even the original, but Breath of the Wild is a really open land where you can see a world that's in decline in the absence of a hero over the course of a century. You can come in and places you may have been familiar with from previous games are now in ruin, collapsed, showing the signs of battle and destruction from long ago. On the subject of Zeldas, let's not forget Ocarina and the shock of going seven years into the future and seeing the world destroyed with Ganon back. Awful. Yeah, I don't really... I never got on with Zelda games. Uh, I'm not sure I've confessed on the podcast before, but again, last episode, I can say what I want. Yeah, I, I, don't, really, I don't really like any of them. Like, oh, really? Sure, well, I don't know. I've tried... Like, I played one of the ones on Game Boy and... I was quite young. I think I didn't understand the concept properly of like, I, I just, I couldn't get very far. I didn't get it. Um, I tried Ocarina of Time. And I just, I just stopped playing. I just got bored. I think I've played that. Tried. I think, I think my brother borrowed an N64 at some point. And I tried it on that and I bought the 3DS one because it's like, everyone says it's the best game mm, ever. And like, mm. I don't know. I just didn't get on with it. Breath of the Wild looks like I'd enjoy it. Breath of the Wild is great. I really, really, really like it. And um, yeah, I've never really played any of the Zelda games. I was very jealous of everyone who was able to play Ocarina of Time. Um, I think I I identified that just from bits I was reading in video game magazines and stuff like that as something that would be extremely my shit. But Mm. I never had the opportunity to uh, play because I never had an N64. Um, And I think I was probably correct about that. It sounds like it's just like a big open RPG, which is exactly what I want at all times. Uh, Breath of the World is great. And actually, it's an apocalypse. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's like a world that gets um, paused at, you know, one minute to midnight basically um Mm. and then remains in that state for like a hundred years and then link comes back and has to like stop it at the very last minute of of this uh of of ganon's uh victory um uh yeah it is very cool it's it's lots of fun Mm. cool uh one more uh source force uh nia's prologue takes place during what i see as an apocalypse in our contemporary era monsters attacking you in an empty shop and then it skips 1,000 years and you play the same character in a more agrarian, non-technological world with the remains of the old world all around. Um, haven't played any near games, but again, I wanted to include them because I know they, I believe both of them do all sorts of interesting things with uh, apocalypse and time and the end of the world. Uh, I believe in the first near, if you replay it a second time in New Game Plus, it completely recontextualizes everything that you thought. Uh, the new one also does that, like multiple playthroughs mm. reveal new things that change your conception of, of what's going on and what's happened. So, yeah, again, I haven't played them, but they sound cool. So that's us then. Right, fantastic. That's it. That's Get Object on Apocalypses and um, Get Object full stop. Certainly for now, um, never say never. Perhaps we'll be back further on down the road. Um, But uh, yeah, thanks again for listening, guys. This has been lots and lots of fun. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, I don't think we have any... I mean, we would normally say what we're doing next time, but there won't be a next time. Um, So... (laughs) So I do hope you've enjoyed. And uh, yeah, for now, um, you can still find me making uh, shows. Um, There won't be anything for like a little while, but um, with the people over at uh, Diane. Um, So you can follow us on Twitter, maybe Diane Podcast or I don't know. 
if you're interested in Twin Peaks and related texts, you could check out our podcast, uh, which is called Diana Podcast about Twin Peaks. And you are making shows at Utopian Horizons. Yeah, same yep. on uh, it's Utopian Horizons on Twitter as well, I think. So, but yeah, you can find it. So yeah, I'll still be doing that. Fantastic. And like I said, I'll put the episode me and Rosie did on Kentucky Route Zero up. Um, so that's there if you want it. Fantastic. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening, guys, and do take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.